0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. Now, if you haven't heard yet, uh, this is me telling you you need to take a look at the new boots from Lacrosse, and they fall under the Navigator series. Now, what they've done is they've taken the best parts of a rubber boot and the best parts of your traditional hiking and hunting boot, and they've mashed them together to come up with this new line of boots from lacrosse, and that is the Navigator Series. Now they have the women's windrows, they have the men's windrows, and then they have the Atlas the atlas series within that as well so go to lacrossefootwear.com and check out this new line of boots that they have i've been using mine for a couple weeks now and i am very impressed with the the fit and the feel and i can't wait to get them in the woods this hunting season and uh, give them a trial run so lacrossefootwear.com check them out
1: welcome back to the southern ground hunting podcast i'm your host parker mcdonald and this is episode number 45 today i'm sitting down with mr Hody project himself that's dave owens but we're not talking about turkey hunting a whole lot we're going to talk about hunting big bucks in swampland y'all stay tuned this is the southern ground hunting podcast What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning in again to the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. Always a pleasure to bring you this show. Um, I'm going to tell you this as I am talking right now, as you're listening to me, when this episode drops, I am already going to be in Kentucky. So please, if you're a praying person, please lift up your prayers for me because, as you know, Kentucky was rough to me last year. And hopefully, hopefully, it's going to be better this year. So, I'm jacked up. I cannot wait. Um, man, it's going to be such a good time with a good group of guys in Kentucky. Maybe you guys are hunting too in Kentucky or, man, I don't even know who all has a deer season open right now. South Carolina, Florida, uh, Nebraska maybe, South Dakota. Um, all Although, there's, there's a handful of states and if you are hunting in one of those states, I hope you are having the best of luck and you're being safe and seeing lots of deer. Man, I know I have been jacked up for this. It seems like turkey season just ended, but it it seems like it just ended, but it also feels like it's been a really long time since I've been in the woods with a weapon in my hand and I'm absolutely ecstatic about it. I cannot wait. So um, this episode was a very, very fun episode because I got to meet up with Dave Owens. Now you may know Dave. From his YouTube YouTube channel, The Penhody Project, and he is a straight-up turkey murderer. The guy kills turkeys a lot. At some points in his season, I, uh, I've got to be honest, I, I get a little bit jealous, and um, if you watch his channel, you know that he always smokes a cigar after he kills a turkey. Now, when I'm looking through Instagram and all that stuff, watching stories on those slow, slow days during turkey season... Um, I see these stories and I'm like, my goodness, how is the guy doing it? I'm telling you, you need to go check out the Penhody Project on YouTube because this guy puts out some incredible content. But today, we're going to talk to him about something a little bit different. Now, Dave is an Alabama resident and he, he used to live in Georgia. Now he lives in Alabama and he, he's, he's got a, a really good um, solid hold on the tactics associated with hunting swampland. Now, I don't. I, I will be the first to admit that I do not know a whole lot about hunting swamps, but we established some things that are some common denominators in this podcast. I'm really excited about you guys hearing it because I know I hear a whole lot. How do you hunt swamps? You know, in, in that hill country terrain like I'm used to hunting, um, you, you, it's, it's a little bit easier to look at a map, look at an overhead view on a map, and pinpoint these areas where you would assume deer would be bedded at. But in a swamp, it's not quite that easy. So in this episode, Dave talks about how he has been successful in the past and also some of the things that he's noticed through scouting in swampy areas. And uh, I think you're going to enjoy this, especially if you're used to hunting flat land, or maybe you're brand new to it and you don't even know where to start. This is a great episode to help you get started. Um, before we get into the episode, I want to tell you guys about Onyx Maps go and check out onyxmaps.com, get a membership. Um, we talk a lot about aerial mapping and, and figuring out where you're going to go check out. A lot of um, features that you can see just from looking at a map in a swampy area. And we're going to talk a lot about that in this episode. But I'm telling you, the best way to do that is using onyxmaps.com. So go check them out and get you a, a premium membership or an elite membership. And I think you will not be disappointed in that. Also, check out tetherednation.com. We love our tethered saddles, our Mantis saddles around here. We did this demo day back a couple of weeks ago, and it was awesome. So many guys sitting in the Mantis saddle for the first time and absolutely falling in love. I'm going to tell you this, that Tethered is going to keep blowing your mind with awesome innovations, awesome new products. Just keep a lookout. It is going to be I believe that 2020 is going to be the year that Tethered really shines even though 2019 and 2018 were huge years I think they're going to blow your minds in 2020. So keep a lookout. if you're not saddle hunting yet as always you can check out our channel you can check out the the, um, Southern Ground channel that is actually the Sportsman's Nation channel that we are on on YouTube lots of saddle hunting uh, videos and content there for you to check out of course we're using our our uh, tethered mantis saddle so and predator platform so go check that out again that's on the sportsman's nation youtube channel don't think you'll be disappointed give us a subscription um, click that subscribe button click the bell also if you are not already subscribed to this podcast please 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 go ahead and do that that is awesome it means a ton if you can leave us a review as well Um, man, I can't tell you every time I see a review that mentions Southern ground, it gets me excited. Even if it's a negative one, Uh, you know, I mean, at least, at least I know that people are listening. I know what we can improve on. And, um, so yeah, that is going to be about it. Check us out on YouTube. That's at Sportsman's Nation. Subscribe to this podcast. You can subscribe on the Sportsman's Nation whitetail feed, or you can just search the Southern ground hunting podcast on itunes and you can subscribe there you can listen to this podcast wherever podcasts are listened to so if you want to listen to it on stitcher google play um, itunes spotify there's so many i can't name them all but please do that leave us a review Um, give us a follow at southern ground hunting on instagram and southern ground hunting on facebook that's going to be it y'all i am super excited about you here in this episode with mr dave owens so let's get right to it All right, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. Today, I am joined by the one and only Mister Penhody Project himself, Mister Dave Owens. How you doing, buddy?
2: I'm doing fine. How about yourself, sir? I am doing
1: extremely good because I finally got some coffee today. Oh yeah, and uh, that's pretty I good have, coffee too. It is good. It is good. We're uh, sitting here at a coffee shop. This is actually my first podcast to ever record in a coffee shop, probably even like in a public environment like this. Well, so.
2: You can get some funny looks, I can tell that already. Oh, yeah. But you know yeah. doing good things.
1: Oh yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Talking about good stuff and everybody else that's in here gets to hear about the yeah. good stuff. Whether they want to or not. <laughs> yep. 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 So uh so man, I know it's the off season right now, getting <laughs> ready for deer season, but you had a killer turkey season.
2: I did, yeah. Was, we had uh, a we had a pretty pretty good pretty good season. Um had better but I've had far worse so i'm never going to complain about it you know i wish it was starting again tomorrow as much as i know everybody's looking forward to deer season and duck season goose season all that's right here on the cusp we got dove season in a couple weeks and that's always a lot of fun but if uh i had to flush all that for tomorrow to be open a day of turkey season i'd i'd wish my life away
1: (laughs) (laughs) so are you the kind of guy do you keep track of like numbers as far as how many turkeys you killed in a season
2: uh, so I've never told anybody about how many turkeys I've killed okay. or how many I kill in a season. That's just, I'm not a numbers guy. Yeah. yeah I, I do keep up with it. I have a log, uh, yeah. that I basically ever, every bird that either I kill or I take part in killing. I have a, a turkey log and a turkey assist log is what I call it. Uh, cause eventually one day I'd like to sit down and write, I don't know if it'd be a book or some type of, yeah. uh, essay about the turkeys that I've, uh, we've got a little background noise yes. now, but, um. <laughs> About the turkeys, because I feel like every one of them deserves to have their story told. You know, yeah. I get real funny about turkeys, and everybody <laughs> probably knows that by now. But I do jot down a little short story. There, sometimes it's a short paragraph, and sometimes it'll be, you know, a page and a half. But whatever right. happened and transpired, I, I I jot it down in some in details, and those details don't ever have anything to do with the turkey's size. Don't ever have anything to do with the number of turkey it was that year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether it was the first turkey of the year, or it was the, whatever the turkey of the year. You know, I just yeah. don't. I don't. When you start talking about numbers and stuff, I think you start getting into that chest thumping mentality. Yeah, and I'm sure. so anti. Yeah. I'm the bad man on the mountain kind of mentality that uh that I don't ever even discuss how many turkeys yeah. I killed or.
1: That's whatever. That's interesting. Yeah, I I've talked to several people on the podcast who are similar. Mm-hmm. and and they, and it's usually, the, honestly, it's usually the people that are probably better at it than everybody else, yeah. and they, they probably get, the only ones that have any kind of numbers worth talking about, like, I know if, like, I keep a log of my turkeys, and mm-hmm. it, if anything, it just makes me look bad, you know, <laughs> like, it's, it's not a very long, very yeah. long log of, uh, of turkey kills, but, but, man, I followed along with your season, all season long, well, I appreciate and, that. man, it's just, it's really cool to finally get to sit down with you and, and talk about that, and, I am, I'm really excited today because we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about some turkey stuff because mm-hmm. that's, like you that's said, me. you're, you're funny about turkeys and that's, <laughs> that's okay, you know, but you're also a, uh, a pretty good deer hunter and you've got, you know, I mean, I started following along with your, with you last, last year really is when I started really following the Pinhoti project and the stuff that you did. And the reason was because we were hunting a similar area and you had killed, a, a slammer buck on it (laughs) and uh like a buck that anybody would be proud to kill probably anywhere in the united states but um especially especially here and um that's what kind of got me turned on i was like oh this guy's a turkey killer oh this guy's a turkey killer (laughs) and uh and so i've been noticing that you've been doing a lot of scouting Mm -hmm. and stuff lately um specifically on like swampy properties yep and would you say that's kind of what you like to stick to
2: that's what i feel most comfortable with with deer Uh, i like hunting deer around water um and so any type of property i usually seek out water for some reason yeah um but uh, i do like hunting deer around water um so yeah that's kind of where now i've done some mountain scouting and, and stuff but um I did some of that earlier this year, but uh, I'm just closer to the swamps where I live now. So it's, yeah. that's what's kind of out, out the back door. So you'll see a lot more of that. Um, so, yeah, I don't think I'm a specialist as far as any of it goes, especially sure. concerning deer. But swamps are what I feel most comfortable at, you yeah. know, in when it comes to deer hunting. So
1: That's really good, because, especially for this podcast, because I'm... The exact opposite. Like for me, where I'm used to hunting at is terrain, like heavy terrain features, steep, mountainous stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing that that does make us similar is I really like to find water. Mm-hmm. Um, I use the kayak to access pretty much 100% of the time for turkeys and deer. And and so I, I feel like there's going to be a lot of similarities as far mm-hmm. as that's concerned. But the the main difference is swampland's flat, mm-hmm. and what I'm used to hunting is you know hill country terrain. I was telling you earlier i can find a I can find a bed mm-hmm. in hill country in a heartbeat, but you put yeah. me in the middle of a swamp man and I'm jumping bucks out of their bed, yeah, left, left and, right. and right like i can't <laughs> I, I can't figure that I can't figure that out, so um just really diving into it just right out the gate like is that something that you're paying a lot of attention to in the swamps is where are they bedded at um,
2: I think everything I do and we mentioned this earlier before we started the podcast, everything I, I do now and what I have done in the past has centered around bedding. Um, and I don't want to sound like a, a broken record or regurgitate everything that's kind of the cool thing to do now, which is buck bedding and, you know, with infault stuff mm-hmm. being so huge now and the hunting public kind of making that uh, kind of common knowledge to everybody that deer hunts has heard of buck beds now. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm, I'm another just a spectator because I started listening to that stuff and studying that stuff and I'm very I guess the word's analytical when it comes to anything like I study like Mm -hmm. turkeys like I study why they sound the way they do and why they make the noises they do and why they're here you know why did they go there why did they choose this do the same thing with deer yeah I've just never been able to come up with good answers for why deer (laughs) do it you know I mean obviously the pinch points and the you know the stuff but like the bedding we um and and here again we mentioned this before we started the podcast but I started looking back on all those past successes that I have had and like when I did kill a good buck um I've been fortunate enough to kill a handful of of decent deer uh and I with my bow because I don't rifle hunt I haven't Mm -hmm. rifled hunted in 15 or 20 years but um it all centered around bedding whether i knew it or not yeah like all my success was around deer beds and i was always more excited when i found the beds and was hunting around beds um, maybe that contributed to it because i was you know if you feel like you're going to be successful if you're confident you hunt harder and you hunt more careful right than you do when you don't have confidence and when i found deer beds i was always more confident and maybe that played a role in it probably a combination of everything yeah but like looking back to successes even from when I was a kid I remember like when I was a kid my dad's a fanatical deer hunter is to this day and I remember we hunted a particular club at that point I was you know I'm talking when I was like 8 9 10 years old 12 years old I remember walking to those stands and we would be hunting these hardwood knobs that was butted up to a piece of public land, but we were on the private and we had the hardwoods and those deer were bedded on those knobs, not the main ridge, but those little finger ridges. And we had some stands on those knobs. And when I would go to my stand and I found those big, you know, padded down beds full of white hair, I always felt confident. And I figured out that the stands that we always had the most success in were those stands centered around those beds. Yeah. We killed deer on food plots and, you know, over creek crossings and sure. pinch points, you know, stands that my dad had put up essentially, but we were hunting those type of places, but it was always the beds that we always seemed to have more success in. Yeah. Years on down the road, you know, when you get your own driver's license, you start hunting and you hunt and hunt and like I told you earlier, I, main way I kill most of my stuff is through persistence. Yeah. <laughs> like I just hammer it until I finally find success. Yeah. Um, and I killed some deer using that approach, the persistent approach. But then those successful hunts, I look back on them even later in life. Um, like I, I killed a, a really nice deer in Illinois, a handful of years ago now. But I killed that deer over a huge bedding area that i've stumbled in on yeah Um, Now, did
1: you know it was a bedding area when you when you stumbled into it
2: yes well i found it earlier in the season and i quickly when i laid my eyes on it it was one of those things like i just froze i was like i need to get out of here yeah like i this is where it's going to go down like i just knew this is where it was going to happen yeah um and it was a huge it was a doe bedding area but it was a huge like an unbelievably big doe bedding area it was just littered with like Twenty or 30 beds
1: and and, and during the rut like yeah, that's yeah. what i key it on most of the time is those doe bed, those big doe bedding areas
2: and it was right on the side of a really steep bluff that nobody wanted to walk up mm-hmm. but that's exactly where i went and as soon as i rolled over to the other side and got into a little bowl and that's just where all those deer were bedding they were safe up there yeah and i basically had my stand just on the downwind side of it you know and um hunted it i was still hunting smart from what i had read you know only hunting when the wind was right only hunting you know i didn't want to overpressure the area but it was probably the fifth or sixth time i had hunted that particular tree because i knew it was going to be right um but it, here again i killed that deer uh, it was a really nice deer and i killed him coming straight through the center of that bedding area on november about like, 14th so right in the heat yeah. of the rut he had lost his doe and was coming in there to find another mm-hmm. one um but here again unknowingly i was hunting those beds you know, I knew I was hunting beds, but I was using the tactics that everybody's using now. But right. I didn't go in there. Intentions the on using those quote-unquote beast hunting. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, um, but yeah, just kind of looking back on all those past successes and wondering what caused those to be successful. Like I said, I analyzed everything. I'm like, why was he here? Like, and I, I, I begin to put the you know pieces of the puzzle together way many years later. I'm like. That was the bed, like, where yeah. he was at. That is the military crest. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, that all makes sense. You know, that's the bend in the river. He was probably bedded right up there in that elbow of the river, you know. Yeah. Everything starts to make sense. Yeah. Um, so it was really cool, uh, all of these new tactics. And, and I'm as heavy and deep and neck deep and all that stuff now as anybody.
1: Right. Um, so. So when you're, when you, when you're going and, and you're, you're breaking down a swampy area, just for example, um, we, we and we've we've hit on on this podcast. We hit on hill country bedding techniques quite a bit, like mm. that, because that's just what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you when it comes to a swamp, like I've said, I'm lost most of the time. Like the the piece of the piece of land that I public land that I've hunted around, um, you know, swampy flat areas mm-hmm. around water, things like that. I always tend to be almost right. Like, yeah. I've, I've <laughs> almost got it right, uh, but at the end of the day, I'm just not right. So, I'll, I'll bump bucks out of their beds a lot. And and I've never been able to find, like, a consistent, like, in a swampy area. The only consistent thing is high ground, higher mm-hmm. ground, which from a topo map. It's hard to find in it, a swampy area. Yeah, because you you just don't have a whole lot of those contour lines.
2: Is, yeah, high ground is two feet difference. Exactly. That,
1: yeah. And it doesn't exactly show up on onyx Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and so i'll go into these areas where um you know i'll see like a transition line or some type of thicket and i'll get close to it and then i'll bump a deer out of its Mm -hmm. bed and i'm like well that's not where he was supposed to be i don't think (laughs) so uh so when you're going into one of these areas or you're going into scout what are the things that you're you're finding that are consistent about these bedding areas
2: well there's not a lot consistent which is the biggest picture here i think a lot of people see these tactics and i'm guilty Is um very guilty i I look at everything as black and white and we're dealing with wild animals here so everything should be kind of approached with a bit of uh flexibility Mm -hmm. because and another thing is is we always listen to these tactics and try to employ these tactics which are usually targeting older deer like there's you know he's going to be bedded here because he knows it's bulletproof Mm -hmm. where a lot of times we're bumping those younger deer that may not be employing those those same tactics yeah. and those same survival techniques as those older deer are i know that's what i've been guilty of yeah. I'm like they're not supposed to be there well right they're just kind of willy-nilly bending yeah. where they you know been where they well pleased but um some of the things that i do is um let's see when i approach an area i <sighs> us being from the south and here again getting back to those techniques the infault stuff um the wind stuff i think we've got to tailor those Mm -hmm. to uh whatever you're hunting And like our area i don't know about you but in my opinion down here in the southeast we don't get those consistent winds that they seem to get in the midwest and and upper midwest so when they're hunting like thermal tunnels and stuff i do think they exist here during certain times of the year Mm -hmm. but only during certain weather patterns do they exist. I think the deer know that, right? or the sign and the beds that I found and, and stuff that I've hunted in the past wouldn't be there, because there is things where they said they would be. But I don't know if it's as consistent as what, like you know, in those type of areas where the wind is out of the northwest consistently throughout the season. Right. I think the deer here bed in areas that are just flat out bulletproof. Regardless of the wind, I don't think. No, I do think they live and die by the wind, but I think they can't trust it no more than we can because yeah. the wind swirls and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. They do, I'm sure, trust the thermals, which are obviously more consistent. And I've found deer bedding, you know, in little low swells, and I, I think that is because they don't plan on getting up and moving any distance until evening time and they know in evening time the thermals will be dropping so essentially they're going to be at the bottom of the pool and everybody's scent's going to be funneling to the pool if anybody's within 360 around them yeah um so i found stuff like that happening um and i've also found uh like you said those little high spots that has uh, a different vegetation like a lot of times these swamp bottoms are extremely open i don't know what you've seen but really open i mean yeah. you see a couple hundred yards yeah this um, a,
1: it, it just those floods whenever it floods and stuff it just takes out all the vegetation underbru- the underbrush
2: doesn't have a chance to grow and a lot mm-hmm. of times it stays underwater so you have extremely open uh, understory and those deer will a uh, laid over tree they'll utilize um uh what are those little around here what i found uh, the deer bedding up against the stuff that stays green. It's those little the little oranges. What are they called? Long splinters on them. Like oh, like thorn. honey locust? Not honey locust because it's got those little oranges. It's not like a little orange by the size of a golf ball. I mean, it smells like an orange, and they stay green. they got really thick vines. I can't think of the name of them. I'm, uh, it. I'm if not you see good it, at plants. But if you see it, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure somebody's listening to this screaming at the radio right now, going, it's a... And I can't believe I can't <laughs> think of the name of it right is it, now. Did
1: you post a picture of it the other day?
2: Yes, I did. It's has it's, got um, a dark green stem. see. It's got a thorn like three inches long, and it's got little oranges on it about the size of a golf ball. And you, and you open them up, and they look like a... I don't know.
1: Did you post a picture of it, or was it on your story? I can't remember. It's probably on my story. It probably is. Yeah. Oh, well. Somebody's anyway, going to know what you're talking that, about.
2: That green bush, you can find mm-hmm. those kind of sporadically throughout the swamps for some reason, and uh, I found the deer use those because it seems like they know that they stay green all year. And they can be in that open swamp and see 200 yards, 360 degrees, and um, as long as it's in a spot that their belly stays dry, they they were bedding there and and taking advantage of that ability to...
1: So a lot of this stuff that you're talking about is... And if I just compare it to like hill country, like what I'm, what I'm used to hunting and what I can hunt well, Mm -hmm. um, I can, I can find these places on maps easily. Like I can find, uh, I can find the military crest on, on a map. I can find, um, one of the things that I always pay a lot of attention to, especially up where I'm hunting at is those like really young, uh, pine thickets that are just super thick. And if I happen to find one, that's just off of one of those tiny little spurs of a ridge and like, those little spots like that are money for betting. They, oh, yeah. They love it. Yep. And especially if it's, like, kind of overlooking a some type of creek bottom or something like that yeah. where most of the time they can just hop down there and get. And get going or get, go the other way and go over the exactly. top. Yep. They, they have all kinds of different options in those kind of areas. But And I can find those from a map. Mm-hmm. What I can't find from a map is a, a blown-over tree. Exactly. That's or called. or yeah. this mystery bush that we can't, can't think of what it's called. Of, yep. Or privet.
2: Um, privet is one of the most common thing that you're going to find that's going to mm-hmm. stay here. young, Younger privet, before it gets so old that the bottom, you know, the understory gets. Right. Gets, uh, now, thick, young privet can get so thick that deer kind of turn away from it, especially mm-hmm. a deer. You just got to think logically. A deer with a, you know, 15, 16-inch wide, you know, set of antlers on its head, and he's trying to squeeze through these little, like, I got into some of that. I was looking at maps, and I was looking at the creeks, and I was like, this is where I want to concentrate, and I get in there, and the, and the ground is so thick that I'm like, they just can't they're not even gonna looking from satellite this makes sense like the topography Mm -hmm. the way the creek turns you know um it makes sense but it's too thick like Mm -hmm. he he can't be in here and be safe because he can't escape quick enough yeah um but what i have found is them stepping right in the edge of that and using that as cover because they know nothing else can get through that stuff either you know they Mm -hmm. know if a coyote or whatever uh, can't get through that stuff easily either. And if it does, they're going to hear it from a mile away. Yeah. Um, so I have found that deer are using, since they can't use the wind, like, it's, the wind's not consistent, they can't use the wind to know what's behind them all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I've found that they're putting something at their back so that they don't have to survey as much of an area. Right. You know, if they don't have to look 360 degrees, they only have to look 120 degrees because their back's completely covered, whether that be by water or whether that be by super thick vegetation or whether that be by falling down tree or whatever you
1: know mm-hmm. um so are you uh, speaking of water another thing that comes into play big time in especially when it comes to bedding is thermals yeah and that that's one thing that i have not been able to figure out in a swamp because you have water everywhere yeah you know like where what what's it pulling like where where is that gonna pull to what, I'll, what's I'll, gonna override yeah, it you know
2: I, and i'm not gonna sit here and pretend to be some expert on thermals either but from from what I the thermals will always go to the low area mm-hmm. and they'll always go toward water. Now there's a lot of water. I usually what I consider the most water is going to either hold the sun's heat or resist the sun's heat the most, mm-hmm. you know. So if you consider a big body of water, it's going to stay cooler longer, it's going to stay hotter longer. Right. Um so like if it's an extremely hot day like, you know, this time of year I can figure that water temperature's way high and you know the uh your scent's gonna it's gonna be pushing that those air molecules up. Right. And so it's gonna pull your scent more so and I could have that completely backwards. This is something I have to sit there and kind of scratch my head and close my eyes and really think about.
3: Right.
1: But for well, like, I
2: always try to hang right over water, extremely close. Because yeah. in my experience that's the way the thermals are gonna fall. Right. You know, it's just toward the water.
1: Mm-hmm. So. And that's going to be most of the time. Most of the time you're going to be dealing with falling thermals or pulling thermals mm-hmm. um, in the prime times of the day. Evenings. Yeah, yeah. Evenings, yeah. And the first and thing in the morning, the evening. Now, you start getting into a lot of the mature buck tactics as far as, like, the rut is concerned and yeah, things. That midday travel. is going to be important. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I mean... That that's what I, I struggle to figure out in swamp. That's easy to figure out in hill country. Yeah. You know, like you don't can don't
2: get directly above or below them. I mean, exactly.
1: You know. um, and they're and they're using those uh, those thermal tunnels mm-hmm. to their advantage. I killed mm-hmm. a uh, a good buck this past season because he was using that thermal tunnel and he was just cruising right along, cruising right along with yep. it and headed to a, a doe bedding area. Yep. To scent check it. I mm-hmm. mean that was it was, and this ridge the ridge that I was on was he was walking that thermal tunnel and the bottom of it was mm-hmm. the lake oh, yeah. so i mean it was it was perfect for yeah. my whole situation going on and i ended up killing him and and it was awesome now when i when i start looking at stuff on a map for you know kentucky even yeah. even talking about kentucky it's similar man yeah there's yeah, a little more be. terrain than than what you would call swamp mm-hmm. a swampy area um, but a lot of it's flat farmland and I'm, you know, when I look at a map, I'll just tell you, when I look at a map, when I pull up on X and I'm looking at a new piece, you know, the, the, I go to, a, there's a place that I go to in Kentucky, a WMA and I know it, right? Mm-hmm. Like I've been there several times and I kind of know the area so I can, I can put pins on the map, you yeah. know, and put, put together certain pieces of the puzzle just from a map just because I've been there. I've scouted it. I've hunted it. Now, if I go to a completely different area of Kentucky and I look at it, I'm like, I-, I don't know what the freak I'm looking at. You know, I don't have any. There's, it's hard for me to to put pins down because of all this stuff that we're talking about. Because mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I don't know the area, and if I don't know it, then it's hard for me to look at it on a map. Whereas, yeah. somewhere with a little more terrain, I can look at it on a map and and try to break it down a little bit better. And we're um, leaving
2: tomorrow, going to Kentucky, completely new ground, so it's going to be a learning experience. But I've already, you know dove into the maps for hours, mm-hmm. and I've dropped pins on likely areas where what I'm trying to study is I'm trying to treat it like here and just trying to look at the maps and pick out what I think is bulletproof bedding locations, Yeah, regardless of wind, let them use their eyes and their ears um, and their nose where applicable, you know, yeah. they're going to use their nose whichever way the wind's blowing, but it has to be bulletproof in just about all. Yeah, using all the senses. Like mm-hmm. if a deer can bed down and have something on all its size that's going to be loud, like water or something. Um, so I've studied that in like little peninsulas that go or from the map look like peninsulas or, mm-hmm. or whatever that go out, so that he's only got to watch his back trail. He don't have to mm-hmm. really, you know, he don't really have to consider anything else because they can't really get
1: to him there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, the the other thing too with a lot of this that you're talking about around water is. You know, if you're hunting a place that is not like a swamp or something like mm-hmm. that, you're not worried about islands and things mm-hmm. like that, you're always looking at escape routes, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. A, a buck isn't going to bed in a spot, you know, that he doesn't have an escape route.
2: That's what I was thinking to say next. <laughs> yeah,
1: so so I'll, I'll let you go, but water is an escape route. Like, oh, yeah, for sure. And they know it's an escape yeah. route. I can't tell you how many p- times people sent me pictures of, you know, when I'm talking about similar stuff like this yep. or hunting swap land of deer swimming or last yep. year i sent you a message because yeah. i thought that the buck that you had killed because yeah. <laughs> um, we happen to be around the same area i thought the buck that you had killed might have been this buck that i literally looked at swimming behind me in yeah. my kayak you know and he was he was a big giant buck and he was using that water as an escape yeah, route which i'm escape. pretty sure he got killed after that so it wasn't a great escape yeah, But it
2: was kind of a, in that in that area is um he just hasn't nowhere to turn. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> no, not, they, not when the season opens up, <laughs> yeah. man. He's
1: like, I learned that. I thought there was going to be not very much pressure, but I learned very quickly that. Yeah, it gets pounded pretty it, hard. It does get pounded pretty hard, even from water access. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but regardless, that buck had, he knew that. It's oh, not yeah. like that's the first time he swam Absolutely right there.
2: not. And I was hunting that area um, later uh, last season or whatnot and, and had some deer, heard some dogs, jumped some deer. Mm-hmm. I was actually on my way out. And I was going in by kayak, and um, got in my kayak and was paddling out, and these deer ran a doe and a yearling, and they did the same thing. They came mm-hmm. off that big land, and they hit that water 100 miles an hour, skipped across an island, and we hit the water again and just got back on the mainland. And they're freaking and, fast. Oh, man, you'd think they got finned. Yeah, yeah. I-, I couldn't so.
1: believe it. Well, when I saw that buck swimming that day, i couldn't tell what he was because all i could see was a head with yeah. big antlers sticking out of the water and i was yeah. like is that a goose what is that is that a fever <laughs> and then he finally hit that shallow ground and started coming up and i mean it was like i wish i should have had a camera on my head like a yeah. gopro or something because it was beautiful it was oh, like yeah. he came up he's dripping with water you know yeah. and probably Thanks walking so. to his death but yeah, probably so um yep but, but yet, yeah they do they use that water to their to their advantage exactly a and that's
2: not a lot of times like i was doing some scouting a couple weeks ago in some some mountainous country and i had picked out this bluff it looked like you know topo lines are just stacked on top of one another i thought they'll be using that and, and, and i got it backwards i was like, they'll be using the top of that they can bet on the edge of that and nothing can get to them from below they'll just be able to well i quickly got up there and i said that is so sheer they're blocked off like they can't escape that way Mm -hmm. it's too sheer so then i had to drop down and the deer were bedding at the bottom of it and using it at their backs so they could watch everything and that's where i started finding stuff
1: was it hotter was it warmer in the warmer months
2: oh yeah it was just a couple weeks ago yeah so
1: that that's one thing about about those bluff areas like Mm -hmm. that i think i think once it starts getting colder we had a guy um we just did the series local legends and we had a guy come on his name's Jamie McKay, and he hunts up up there where I hunt, super steep. Yeah. And he's talking about these bluff gaps, Yeah. and the, they use those gaps in the bluffs, yeah. and that's their escape route. Well, if you if you scout those type of areas a whole lot, especially during the winter or the colder months, there you'll find a trail that's like hugging the ledge of those of the top
3: uh-huh. really
1: closely. Yeah, and for whatever reason, and then they're using the gaps that are in that to kind of escape, hmm. but when I scout during the, during the summertime, it's the opposite. You'll oh, yeah. see them because it's cooler down there. Down below. On the, down below yeah. it. Um, so it's interesting. You know, I mean, yeah. those are the things that you can put together in hill country that you just can't necessarily always do in, yeah. in flatland.
2: And I like, in, in, in flatland, I really like water access, which, like you said, around here, it's, it's probably more popular than their standard park at the gate and walk in. So it's mm-hmm. kind of working probably against you. Um, but... Um, saying all that I do like hunting swamp country because a lot of it is is access to be completely honest with you because I like being lazy and I like paddling up really close to where I can hunt for a couple different reasons because yep. I don't like dragging stands and all this junk that I have to bring when I go deer hunting with me mm-hmm. I don't like carrying that junk that far and not to mention it's really nice to get right up in your stand you haven't tracked through anything you haven't blown anything out I can be you know I just feel like you know, a ninja when I'm yeah. in there, you know, <laughs> <You're> <laughs> I'm,
1: I'm the same way, dude. I've, when I started using the kayak, like, here's the thing. A lot of people think that you're like, when you start using the kayak and like, I post pictures of mm-hmm. deer, you know, up on mm-hmm. my kayak and stuff mm-hmm. and paddle them out. People are like, Oh, that's so hardcore. And so I'm like, I mean, really the guy who's hiking in three miles is, yeah. is the one that's really putting sweat equity yeah. into it. All I do is put a little bit more effort into the front end yeah. of getting the boat out and yeah. loading yeah. everything onto it. Yeah. And it's just, to me, in my opinion, I would I would much rather paddle.
2: Oh, yeah, for sure. Than hike. <laughs> I, I mean, as long as if I was hiking without all the junk, sure, I'd rather hike. But when you got to carry the stand and the bow and the mm-hmm. camera equipment, you know, all of that stuff, the next thing you know, you're – and it's not the weight as much as it is just the bulkiness. You know, yeah. something hanging – I can't stand to have – like limbs getting caught on stuff that just that just sends me over the edge real quick so i can put it on the front of the kayak and it's really nice Now it's not to say like i said around here it almost works against you yeah because so many people are doing it now and so many around here people around here have boats and stuff so yeah there's a bit i know there's
1: a big duck hunter population around here and so a lot of the places that you know where i hunt a little further south from here um is not necessarily duck hunters you know you don't have a lot of those and so If you find a place that's only accessible by kayak, either it's too shallow or um, skinnier water or something like that. Um, But really, I mean, honestly, the places that I hunt, I don't run into a lot of water access. Now, when I came here (laughs) and I was like, oh, crap, there's a lot of people using. And they're using mud motors and things Mm -hmm. like that, those long tail mud motors. And it's just... Man, it, it, there's
2: nowhere they can't get to. Exactly. I mean, I have one. I mean, it, you can literally go anywhere. It's almost like those. a fan boat. Yeah, it absolutely. And there's and everybody around here, like the duck hunting population, duck hunter population is thick around here. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, deer season opens before duck season does. And <laughs> just You know, if you've got deer hunt, you know, um, once duck season hits, there's a lot of ruckus on the water, but there's much many fewer deer hunters yeah but um unfortunately duck hunt season is not in so you have everybody that's got a boat is out there so it kind of it can work against you but um and it's gained popularity over the last couple of
1: years mm-hmm. for sure
2: yeah um, i'm one of them like i said i mean i'm one of them that's that's mm-hmm. always thought about it but just started employing it the last few years
1: so are you still going to – I saw that you, you posted about getting that, that boat with the big long tail yeah. motor on it. Are you going to use that instead of the kayak, or are you still going to be using the kayak a lot? It probably
2: be a combination of both because um, there was a lot of areas that I wanted to hunt last year, but it was at a kayak distance, you know, yeah. But so uh, I'll probably be piggybacking <laughs> the kayak in because I still don't think that driving something – I mean, those things are extremely loud. Good Lord. So I don't think <laughs> – these guys that are running these things up to wherever they're hunting, I don't think that's a good practice. Yeah. So I'll be do I'll be piggybacking. I'll be getting, you know, within a, that's my plan. I don't really know what I'm going to do yet. Yeah. I'm so unstructured when it yeah. comes to all this stuff, but I know that that's an option now, you know, yeah. getting to places that I couldn't get to just here again, just gaining more access, man. I just, I yeah. don't want there to be a piece of public dirt that I can't get to if I don't want to. Yeah, so, I, I agree
1: with you. I, I ended up putting a motor on my kayak. I've got the yeah. new canoe. Oh yeah, and I ended up getting a 2.5 horsepower motor. Oh yeah, um, for that because I'm, uh, which I don't hunt a lot of the same type of stuff. I'm hunting mm-hmm. a lot deeper water most yeah. of the time, so I can get that motor in there and yeah. and go. Yeah. Um, and it goes uh, like eight miles per hour, so it's it's not super fast, but it yeah. it takes me about 15 minutes to get four miles. I think okay. so. I can get in there, get there pretty quickly, and yep. and I can still get into the areas that. Are only kayak access too. Though, oh, yeah. All I have to do is just take my motor off and yep. it's just, it's easier. Yep. Um, okay. So, so going back into swampland and, you know, kind of navigating that kind of area, are you using a lot of ag to your advantage? Do you pay attention to that while you're looking at it?
2: I use food sources to my my advantage, but I have quickly learned that that's a very big secondary to betting. Still, yeah. I think security is deer's number one. That's something I've kind of, it just kind of continues to reiterate itself every season. Once I started here again, you know, last couple of seasons, all of these new tactics and stuff, I started paying attention to what I do, mm-hmm. what I've had success doing and what hasn't been successful, the biggest thing. yeah. And, um, here again, i am just, I've just, it's, it's just kind of, it's a blatant, like right in your face. You can't ignore it. Betting is the most important thing, secure bedding. Mm-hmm. Um, You know you can have a bean field or a corn field or a clover field or whatever it might be um and there's going to be deer on it but i've I've found that there's fewer deer at the ones without secure bedding close by and the Mm -hmm. ones that do have secure bedding close by usually have a lot more deer so i think when i look at a map my first thing is bedding because one other thing that i think people get wrapped up on is that ag because they don't realize that like deer are browsers they're not a grazer like they're not like a cow mm-hmm. uh, they're not going to go to a field and just sit there daylight to dark and just eat because they require and desire like a huge array of things right um like you, you know my, my girlfriend courtney she's a biologist and I'm, I dive into all her scientific papers or graphs and she's stuff she knows I'm going to be interested in.
1: Let me ask she's, you this while you're talking about that. Yeah. Does, is, does it happen a lot? Cause I think most men probably don't ever have to deal with uh, a girlfriend or a wife yeah. that <laughs> maybe knows more about deer than they do. Is that something that is the case it with really you? It really
2: has been eye-opening to a lot of those, like, uh, like stuff I was thinking to say, like all these charts and stuff. And like, she understands when a deer prefers what and when, you know, just on these studies and and studying, like, um, uh, stomach contents and stuff, and they have these graphs and stuff that she always reads and stays up on the current things, and um, she brings that to my attention, and that's what's kind of reiterated the fact that deer aren't, just because there's a bean field over here, that doesn't mean every deer in the county is going to be there right after dark or right at dark, because these deer eat, there's so many forbs and natural native grasses and all of this stuff that is, Available to them, yeah, that they had, they prefer a lot of times, and they'll mm-hmm. stop there. Sure, they may end up at the bean field. They'll spend some time at the bean field because it's just another one of those forms or legumes or whatever they want to eat.
1: Yeah, but well, it's kind of like it's kind of like you know you hear people talking all the time, or maybe not even all the time, but I've heard people talk about it before that deer, they know what their body needs, whereas like corn, people think like okay, they're gonna come come eat corn as soon as they can, as mm-hmm. soon as they possibly can eat corn. Mm-hmm. Or people out here, you know, yeah. the baiting law yeah. changed. And so they're like, yeah. oh, I'm going to kill the biggest buck ever off, over this corn feeder. But deer understand that really what they're getting from corn is fat. Yep. You know, and, and they know they, they need other things. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've heard the same things about uh, persimmons. It doesn't yep. offer them a whole lot of nutritional value. just tastes good. That's you like know?
2: muscadines. Everybody always harps, oh, early season, you better be sitting on a muscadine vine. You know, it took me a couple hundred, it seems like, sits over muscadine <laughs> vines and not seeing anything. And I'm like, this thing is reeking of grapes. I mean, it smells like a vineyard in here. And I, well, how am I not seeing deer? Yeah. Because if that grape vine is not close to secure bedding, then it's just as well not be there. I mean, it's just, the, the, and then you look at it and the grapes are, you start paying more attention to it. And, you yeah, know, there's deer tracks around it, but a lot of the grapes are rotting. You know, there's a lot of, you know, left on the ground.
1: Um it it's funny cuz people like to give deer almost human characteristics mm-hmm. cuz humans we struggle with we we don't for the most part have to worry about security. security. You know, we're not we're not worried about if I eat this cheeseburger am I going to be able to run away from a murderer, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like we're not that's not something that computes in our mind, so we eat the cheeseburger. Yeah. Whereas deer they tend to gravitate more towards security than they do food like for you sure. said and they know they know how much they can take, you yeah. know, of, of one certain type of food. They're not yeah. just going to come well, the, eat corn.
2: I, yeah, I think it's just, I think it's, like I said, in my opinion, unless you were hunting a barren wasteland, and I don't know why the deer would be there anyway, they're going to have some type of food within extremely close proximity to their bed, whether you know that it's food or not.
1: Texas is like that. When you look at Texas, mm-hmm. um, I was raised in West Texas, so mm-hmm. there's there, there are some... Some food sources that are excellent for deer in Texas. There's a lot of deer in West Texas, Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, like corn is king. If you've got a corn feeder up, that's why people do it out there. I mean, because it is it is truly one of the main food sources for deer Mm -hmm. in Texas. That's not to say that there aren't deer that are living off other stuff and not eating eating the corn. But I mean, if you want to get a good idea of what deer in your in your area, or have the best opportunity at a mature buck in west texas where i'm from you better be hunting over a feeder because it, it's going it to be very unlikely that Food you see a deer limited yeah. yeah and so um you know like what you said unless it's a barren lake wasteland well it kind of is yeah. out there and so they're they are coming to corn it's like it,
2: anything else is that limited limiting resource i say the same thing about turkeys you got to find those limiting resources and get in the area that provides everything they need in the smallest amount of area they're yeah. they're they're wild animal they're trying to survive without spending as much you know without spending energy if they don't have to Mm -hmm. they want to be very efficient Uh, efficiency is something that i always i practice it in my daily life to the point of you know to to my fault like i want everything to be so efficient i want Mm -hmm. to be if i'm going from point a to point b i want there to be a purpose and i want to try to do two or three things i can kind of kill more than one bird with the stone you know but um deer the same literally they they try for you yeah (laughs) turkeys (laughs) but um but yeah, same thing with deer. I mean, they're going to be, they're going to be uh, whatever is most secure to them that provides them the most uh, variety for food sources that they know they're going to need. Yeah. But I think um, security will always be king, and your bigger deer are going to be. You know, here's here again. I'm regurgitating Dan Infault type stuff, but the bigger deer are going to be in the best bedding. Mm-hmm. Best bedding is going to be the most secure and closest to some good food yeah. usually. But like I hear again, I'm going back on what I just said Good food may not be as easy to recognize for people as they think it is. they yeah. think good food is this cornfield or good food is this soybean field. Good food could be ragweed, it could be you know whatever's available to them, definitely, you know right there. By their beds. You yeah. Know? I've seen deer, and I'm sure everybody else has, if they start paying attention, you've got this bean field, and it's got this border around the bean field where the farmers won't plant within so many feet of the of the field uh, edge because of the shade of the overhanging limbs or, or whatnot, or like on a lot of public areas, it's the borders that just required to be left around the edges of the field. And they'll see the deer come out and spend an incredible amount of time in those edges before they go out into the beans, and everybody's like, Oh, that's because it's thick and it provides them more cover. Well, the doggone beans are waist high, so yeah. the beans are providing cover too. Why are they spending so much time in those borders? That's because there's forbs in those borders that they prefer. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's that they prefer obviously more than the beans, or they'd be out there now. Eventually, by the end of the night, they've had enough of the forbs in the you know, they'll be in the beans too.
1: But, um, there was a there was a, an area in Kentucky, and um, I will probably remember this for the rest of my life, you know, kind of what I saw here. It was uh, the second the second time I had went to Kentucky, that's last season, in October. So, the beans were already not even an option. Like, mm-hmm. it wasn't even something yeah. that they were – you'd walk through a bean field at this point. It already turned. And they had already turned, and there wasn't even hardly any deer tracks in them. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. Whereas, when we went early in the season, they were green, and there were deer tracks everywhere. everywhere. You couldn't yeah. take a step without seeing deer tracks. Um, but the cut corn fields were getting hit hard Mm -hmm. and, um, I was sitting over this cut corn field one evening and, and by the way, everything that you just said, like about like, you almost have to throw it out the window when you go to Kentucky this week, because like the thing that I tried to do last year was hunt beds and these other food sources. And it's like the deer just don't even care about them. They're
2: not pressured. They don't have that pressure. No. security's not such a big issue. Exactly. (laughs) It's,
1: it's so crazy. I mean. Everything we're talking about, I'm like, man, that'd be awesome if that would have worked in Kentucky last year (laughs) because I could have figured it out a lot easier. But um, anyway, I was hunting this cut cornfield and I started seeing these deer pop out of the same spot in this field over and over and over again. I mean, and by the end of the night, there was like 40 deer in the field on public land, 40 deer, and they were all coming out of the same spot. So the next morning I was like, you know what, I'm going to go try to find out where these deer were. I'm going to see what, why were they coming there? Because it wasn't a low spot in the field. There was nothing like that. There was something, though, that was right there that was causing them to be right there at that Mm -hmm. time. So I ended up hiking in the next morning. That evening, I was there from the water. I kayaked Mm -hmm. in. So I hiked in the next morning and um, got to that area. And what I found was there was a whole bunch of white oaks right there that were dropping right in that spot. And it looked like hogs had just tore it up because there were so many deer. Mm -hmm. And they were eating that. They had corn right there. But in this situation, they knew that their white oaks uh, or the acorns were going to only be there for a limited, amount, limited yeah. amount of time. And so they were staging up in, in the woods where I couldn't see them eating those acorns I mean. for God knows how long. You know, I mean, I could if I would have been in that spot that evening, I probably could have killed a deer by, you know, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> but right there around 5 o'clock, they started filtering out into the field. And so – I mean, it just goes into play with what you're saying. Those those food sources like that are not always going to be the the food source. It doesn't yeah. mean they're not eventually going to end up there mm-hmm. at some point. But they're, there's there's other things. There's browse, you know, yeah. uh, uh, greenbrier. Greenbriers. Man, huge. I see yep. greenbrier especially out here where blackberry. Yep. Mm-hmm. We don't have a lot of we don't have a ton of ag now. There's a little bit more up up in North Alabama, closer to Tennessee mm-hmm. than than I get in more of the north, I guess, north-central-ish area. Yeah. And uh, so so you can you can use ag to your advantage a little bit more. But where I'm at, where I'm hunting at, man, I spend a lot of time looking for the areas that, that green briar, briars just mowed down. Yep. And that's kind of how Nipped I can off. get a get a idea of if there's deer in the area. If I'm in an area and there's just green briar just going up all over the yep. place and,
2: there's probably not been browsed very hard you know no. the, the population exactly not there. yeah
1: exactly and and that's going to come into play a lot when i'm doing a lot of summer scouting yeah um or or that winter scouting whenever the acorns are already gone you yep. know and seeing what
2: privet would be king then mm-hmm. when everything else is kind of gone that privet that privet they'll really seem to concentrate on i've found yeah uh, later in the season uh this is you know coming from here again hanging along creeks and where that privets available to them i found that this yeah. it provides the security and it provides the food source so mm-hmm. i found them sticking sticking extremely close to that privet you know like daylight to dark um and you can go in there and there'll be like a tunnel network in that stuff and here again it has to like be hogs. some yeah it has to be <laughs> some privet with a little age to it so that it's allowed to get up and kind of mature a little bit to where the tops are a little bit off the ground because if it's short it impenetrable to everything yeah um but uh i found in that little bit you know that privet that's a little bit more mature and it's got that lack of ground cover the deer just in there and just hammer it you know
1: yeah so have you ever and this is this is good for the listeners too one of the things that i i've looked at a lot is if you go into like a cattle pasture Mm -hmm. and the cattle pasture that has a whole lot of growth on the edges and stuff you can almost see like those tunnel systems that you're talking about where cows have been using the same area for so Mm -hmm. so long that may be a good idea for somebody to if they're kind of trying to figure out what you're talking about when when you look at that that's when i see that out in the woods and i see it a lot Mm -hmm. especially like you're talking about with that privet um in texas we had hogs hogs would do that like crazy and they'd make that almost
2: divots in the ground almost Mm -hmm.
1: yeah and it's 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 a pretty cool visual to look at obviously cows much bigger and so it's going to be a lot more defined, but that's something to look for while you're, you know, deer scouting or something like that. If you're seeing those, it, that's like exactly what I like to
2: find, like, a, I killed a good deer two years ago, not last year, year before last, um, in Georgia, and it was in December the 20th, I think it was, or 18th, some later in the season for Georgia. You know, the mm-hmm. rut's just ramping up over here, but um, later in the season for Georgia and um, – it was one of those same situations i was hunting along a creek bottom and it was an area that i had hunted a couple times but one of those spots that it looked good and i was like there should be a buck there and he should be bedded there but i could never could catch him there for some reason mm-hmm. um but then just one day i was like you know what had happened was i had a trail camera on the other side of the property this was a this was a one of those Suburban type settings. I was hunting in an archery only county in Georgia, and I had gained access. to I think it was like 11 acres, which was a lot for that area.
1: That's fun too. And, uh, oh yeah, urban and I stuff had, is yeah. fun as heck. And
2: I was in there, and uh, it was a lot of privet hedge, and it was you know it was floodplain, which is the only reason it wasn't built up. So I had a lot of privet in there, and uh, along a creek, creek drainage there, and the creek had a big elbow in it. And I was like, man, a deer should bed right there. That's where he should be bedded. Mm-hmm and uh, he should come back this way, and I had a uh, stand in place, and sure enough, that day, I caught him there, and I was in the stand when he stood up, and he came right out just beautifully, and he just stood up, and I watched him in that privet, just step by step, stopping and nipping, stopping and nipping, and I was in an area that was um, like an old roadbed that they'd pushed out who knows how long ago, but it had green briar, and it had blackberry, a lot of blackberry was in it, mm-hmm. and I knew Essentially, it acted like a food plot, and anybody else would have seen that overgrown junk and go, "That's junk." Yeah. But, and this is something that I have a lot of room to improve on. Like I said, Courtney, being the biologist, she knows all her plants and all this stuff. And anytime I'm thirsting for knowledge, so when we're out there, I'm like, "What is that?" I, every time it never fails. When I'm scouting, I'm taking a picture or something. I'm going, "What is this?" When like, I bring get back. bring
1: boyfriend to work day. Yeah. <laughs> so
2: What's she that? And, and she knows she's taught me a lot on like what. And when she says it, I'm like, "Oh, I've heard of that before." Yeah. And then I go and she, and then she directs me to some paper I have to read about, you know, and these findings. And like I was mentioning earlier, she showed me that um, this graph, and it was about stomach contents of deer, basically what they were utilizing at certain parts of the year. And it was, I mean, I stared at that thing forever, <laughs> and I was like, "Where's that graph at again?" And I was looking at it because it was so funny. Like you were looking in this early part of the year, like July, September. Uh, up until the end of September, Forbes was like way up high. And you would think that legumes would be up high because that's a bean field and that's when all your soybeans are, are and this was an area with ag in it supposedly and legumes leveled out with Forbes usually at about mid September. Mm -hmm. But it was like Forbes were astronomically higher than everything around it then you got to mid-october then the acorns started so some of it made sense but then i was just blown away at like the amount of forbs they used or you know were found with and i know a lot of that has to do with here again close proximity to bedding like yeah you know, this time of year, without any pressure, hunting season's not. If you walk around a bean field right now, you're going to kick a deer up. It seems yeah. like if you walk around the edge of a soybean field right now, right around the edge where blackberries growing up are on the, the edge of the field, you're going to kick a deer up that's bedded four feet from the beans. Mm-hmm. Who knows what kind of deer it's going to be. Probably not your oldest deer, but in my opinion, I think they call it seasonal bedding or something yeah. to where, you know, they don't have pressure. They're not getting yeah. bumped all the time. They don't have somebody trying to kill them. And Those
1: I, areas that you're talking about where uh you, you know the kind of the planet the area outside of the planet area yeah you know i'm talking yeah. about the grass mm-hmm. and all that yep. stuff yep. um right now if you go out to these fields you're gonna find a whole bunch of holes where deers are mm-hmm. deer are bedded at Yep. i mean it, it i i find them i find them a lot you know when i go into um, like a creek bottom where there's a really thick area with lots of grass and stuff mm-hmm. like that, I'll find those beds. Yep. And and I don't pay a whole lot of attention to it. I you,
2: assume it's nighttime is what I look at. Yeah, like,
1: nighttime. nighttime or, or you know, just like what you said. I think you posted it on your uh, your Instagram story the other day. You asked yeah. the question like, hey, where's where's this bed? Why would this bed be here or whatever? It was, and it was in, in the a middle creek.
2: of a wide area open bottom, mm-hmm. and I'm like, this had to be made at night.
1: Yeah, like, nighttime feeding beds. Yeah, it
2: had to be a feeding bed, like, at night, because... Or
1: it's cooler. It's cooler it, it was there right there right now, and they're, right they're not right getting there. pressured. Yeah.
2: But I was just like, it. it I guarantee you, you know, if I was in Georgia at that point, I'm like, September whatever it is, 14th, whenever the bow season opens up, I mm-hmm. bet you that deer don't bed there at any time after no, that.
1: You know? No, <laughs> And you also, there's a, there's a big difference in foliage, too, mm-hmm. and cover In a creek bottom right now, even, like, when I go into some of my deer areas during turkey season, I'm like, it it looks night and day different just because everything's green, everything's grown up. So there's a whole lot more cover right now than there's going to be come October. Oh, yeah. You know, and so, you know, you kind of have to – take those kind of things with a grain of salt kind of yeah however if you're going into an area and you're doing summer scouting and you want to know you just want to know if there's deer in the area yeah those are great you know because it, it works just the same way as a rub or an old scrape or something like that it just lets you know hey this might be worth dissecting this area yeah. because there's deer here
2: and the biggest thing that i've seen this year comparing to stuff from last year is when they plant corn in an area i'm convinced that deer get in that corn and they don't flip and leave. Yeah. I'm like this place I know has a lot of deer in it and there's like no sign. i mm-hmm. I'm like I know they're here and you go look in the fields that were beans last year or corn this year and you know that those deer are just flat out living in that cornfield. So when that when that's cut, I'm sure everything gets right back to right back to normal. Back to normal. So when I'm out there scouting like this time of year I'm looking for those bulletproof locations and it's like I found a lot of beds this year that I found hair in but they're not like just super steaming fresh you know I found some Mm -hmm. fresh ones but like I found some that I'm hoping are going to be productive once deer season gets here because it all just in my mind it makes sense now Mm -hmm. i don't mean it's going to come together most often not yeah but um it's a
1: very small percentage of (laughs) those but
2: i found some beds i'm like man this is a bulletproof location Uh, there's no reason for a, a, a big deer not to be here he's protected on three sides he's got to watch this area right here and he can see very easily and there's a looks like a bed here like but it's not being used currently but you know, maybe it's adjacent to corn or something, and he's staying in the middle of that corn, which, here again, is food and bulletproof. I mean, he can.
1: Well, it, it's not always bad, in my opinion, to find, like, again, when when you, we were talking about finding those beds that are in those creek bottoms or something like that during the summer, summertime bedding is not something that I'm necessarily even I'll, – I'll look for it, you know. I'll, yeah. I'll go and find it. But – most of the time man if i'm if i'm going and looking for an area that i that i want to hunt let's say come october or november yeah finding fresh hair in yeah. there you know it's not something that yeah. i necessarily want to find because yeah. i don't want to find a spot that they're bedding in the summer July, yeah you know that's not what I i'm like, looking
2: for i found some primary beds that i think they use year-round mm-hmm. like some of those super secure beds that i do think they find year-round and i i love when i find them and it's almost like it's almost like you can't avoid them. Like, as soon yeah. as you lay your eyes on him, you're like, ooh, he was just here, and he's been here for a long
1: time. It's like almost like almost you can see the, the yeah. heat that's still yeah. on the bed where he, you would probably busted him out yeah. of there.
2: Yeah, and then the tree he's laid up against is like he's got the bark almost moved off against, off of it where he's been laid up against it and stuff, and you find those areas, and that's the whole thing I'm looking for when I'm out there scouting mm-hmm. this time of year anyways. So, so even though I might post a Insta story of a deer bed, it's still kind of like, yeah, this is a deer bed, but it's not the one that I was looking for because this one it's does it's does and a yearling, you know, it's, uh, this, you know, it's just, I've only found like I've, I've done quite a bit of scouting this year and I found like two that I would consider like that as a primary. When you come into this spot to hunt this area, you better crawl to here, you know, just, just come in here with your, you know, your game face on when it comes time to hunt this Mm -hmm. spot. Um, those things are so flipping hard to find. I've found yeah. that, that I just can't seem to bump into them nearly. I mean, I can go out there and look at this area and go, there should be a bed here. i walk over there and there's a bed there, mm-hmm. but I'm like, it just doesn't look like it should to be like a primary, a primary bed, bedding. You know? area. And that's what I'm looking for is that primary. Like I found one last week I was like, Hmm. And I'm, I'm trying to wrap my mind around something a little different. We talked about pressure earlier. I'm trying to talk. I'm trying to think about, This is a very pressured area. This is the way that the pressure is going to come from. Where's that deer going to go? Yeah. Because I know he's going to be right in this area, and he's going to get bumped. Where's he going to go for security? So I started trying to wrap my mind around that, you know, just trying to prepare to get ready for season. Um, And like I said, I overanalyze everything. So I'm, like, looking at the map, I go, where's he going to go? So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go here, and if there's any deer sign whatsoever so that I know that, it's not, here again, just something that's completely barren. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to assume that he's going to wind up here if he's bumped because it's a few hundred yards away. It's enough room for him to run and get a little buffer for security. And it's one of these kind of, uh, kind of a bulletproof location where he can see everything around him and will feel safe enough spending the rest of the day there. Yeah. So I go into that area, and I bump like 15 deer out of it. <laughs> it's all does. And there was literally like 20 beds in there. I'm talking steaming. Well, I mean, I jumped them out of it, yeah. and they had used it a lot. And it was an open little spot, and it had some greenbrier in it. And they were bedded in. I mean, in this super open little area, like where everything necked down. I thought that'd be a good little spot for him to get to if he was running from, you know, running from being bumped. And in that little greenbrier thicket, that these deer were bedded. And I'm talking a bunch of deer. And I looked around it and I saw some rubs, not anything just eye opening you know but if there was a few rubs i figured were probably from the rut last year these bucks coming in there looking for does mm-hmm. but i'm planning on one saturday when i know the place is going to get a lot of pressure i'm assuming the buck knows that that's somewhat of a pretty safe bet to get in there and bed safely because all the does do yeah and i assume if you can get in there Especially on like a morning hunt, if you can get in there early enough to let him get in there before everything goes haywire when everybody else gets there. Yeah. And then almost look for people to bump the deer to you mm-hmm. and you try to get in that secondary cover. I don't know if anybody does that. I don't know if anybody's done it successfully. I know people use pressure to yeah. find deer, but I don't know, that's something I wrap my mind around and I was really surprised when I walked in there and found the amount of deer I did. Yeah. And I was like almost thinking to myself, I wasn't expecting to find this much deer activity in here. I was just hoping to go in there and find some droppings and maybe some old rubs to yeah. let me know that there is some activity in here. But with it almost being a primary type bed, here again, it it did, it was it had to be does. Yeah. You know, they were bedding in safety and numbers because there was a bunch of them. So.
1: so that is that is something that, you know, when I'm talking about kayak access or anything like that, the, whole, the sole purpose of that is to hunt people's pressure, mm. right? So um, I've got areas where I'm hunting uh, hunting club boundaries mm. where I know that I'm going to be getting... They're on the private land that's prime, but they're pushing deer into an area that's public that's not accessible by walking in. That's yeah. a lot of the areas. So I do that a lot. Um, knowing that even my little amount of pressure that I'm putting in there is better than... Yeah. the 50 guys that are on the other side. So if a deer is going to have a choice of which direction to go, it's probably going to go towards my side. Um, But like what you're talking about with an area like that, like, man, it's easy to go into an area that is not getting pressured in the summer Mm -hmm. and, or an area that's like, say it's a quota area for part of the season or it's closed for part of the season or whatever, where the deer aren't super pressured, but maybe for, a short amount of time. You know what I'm saying? And it's easy to go in and scout it and find a bunch of deer sign. Yep. You know, like I think about deer being deer. Yeah. I go out to Kentucky where there's just deer everywhere. There's deer in every single corner and you can go out. Like, I promise you if we got in my car right now and drove to Kentucky and had 10 minutes of daylight, we'd see bucks. (laughs) Like we just would because they're doing, they're doing their, their routine. They're doing their, they're in that summer pattern. Um, It is unrealistic to think that you can go in there during deer season and see the same type of thing. So if that's what your summer scouting is consisted of, is going and finding just some deer sign.
2: If you're going in there looking for summer routines, exactly. congratulations, you found a deer in July.
1: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) It's not hard to find a deer in July. What's really hard to do is is what you're talking about, is going into area and wasting time a lot of times. Mm. Going in and saying, if I can find just a little bit of deer sign right here, then it'll give me enough confidence to go in there during the season when maybe they'll be getting pushed back here. And that's a Um, lot of
2: times you, and here again, it's it's a lot of times that's the only only way you're going to know that's through experience. mm -hmm. And that's like what the hardest thing when you're hunting a new piece of ground you can assume where the pressure is going to come from, but you don't ever really know with 100% certainty. Yeah. And if you're hunting, it's hard to see where the pressure's coming from a lot of times because you're up a tree, too. Exactly. Um. So, um, yeah, a lot of that's got to do with that experience type stuff. You know, you've just got to see it happen, and it's really hard to look at a new piece of ground and say, let's find those spots that he's going to go after he's bumped. Mm-hmm. It's just a guessing game. It is. You know? Um,
1: I think maybe that's the difference. With, um, with hunting terrain features versus hunting flatter land. Like mm-hmm. if I could put it all in a nutshell of everything we've talked about is a lot. Like I said, I can go into an area and guess with terrain. You know, with that has steeper terrain mm-hmm. and probably be more successful um, than going at, than guessing in swampland. You because know what I mean, more or flatland,
2: because the experience.
1: Well, the experience and also terrain features are going to tell you a whole lot more about the way a deer is traveling. Kind of uh Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whereas swampland or flatland, farmland, all mm-hmm. of it is really more of a game of of boots on the ground. It yeah. really is. Like the people that I see who are most successful in that type of situation are the ones who are putting their boots on the ground, and that you could say that as a blanket statement over deer hunting just in, in general, general. Yeah. but you're not going to know the things about flatland by just looking at it on a the map there's yep. certain things you like what we talked about ground
2: cover i mean you can tell pines versus hardwoods versus swamp a lot of times but a lot of times hardwood swamps like we just mentioned they're so open that you don't know yep they can be the deer can use them to their advantage you mm-hmm. know using a visual advantage there and um, you're not going to know that until you actually lay your eyes on it
1: you and know? go and see it I, yeah. I scouted a place last weekend and it's a flood area so mm-hmm. they flood it for duck hunters basically yeah. and it's it's a great area I jumped a giant buck in really? there and it was awesome it was, it was just a really cool place it was a big huge island is pretty yeah. much all it was and um, I went into one spot I, the, the way I went in I paddled in and I went in and it was thick man it was awesome maybe like maybe like a five foot elevation change in this one area versus another side of it, but it was thick. You could tell this specific spot did not get flooded or anything like that. It stayed out of water a little Mm -hmm. bit. And I ended up hiking all that's where I jumped the deer. I jumped several deer in there. I hiked all the way around this Island and got to the other end. And it was what you're talking about. It's just flooded. It wasn't flooded at the time, but it's just wide Wide open. open. You can see there was corn planted in there and you could see from, from like one side of the woods all the way to the cornfield on oh, the other yeah. side of the woods like yeah. you could just see everything yeah. and i wasn't finding deer sign there wasn't hardly yeah. anything He's there been, he was a bear but but from a map it looked the exact same yeah. you couldn't tell yeah and so i think i think that's the main thing that we established in this podcast is the the absolute best thing you can do is go and see an area find yeah, an area sure. find these food sources that we're talking about yeah. you know um, and be able to Differentiate between things that they need to survive yeah. and what their bodies prefer versus things that you think their bodies prefer. Yeah, for sure. Know? It's
2: definitely like taking a step back and realizing that, um, in my opinion, food is, is, is secondary and it's a distant secondary to, to security. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's a distant secondary because that's for two reasons and here again we're probably reiterating something we've already talked about but but that's because a lot of times food is a lot closer than you think it is yeah it always seems to be a lot closer than i think it is i watched a buck stand up out of its bed a couple different times during summer scouting last year i found a a spot where a buck was bedding the buck i killed and it was one of those situations to where i was looking at satellite imagery and i thought that's a discoloration there i wonder what that is Mm -hmm. like i wonder what that is and then i went and checked it and it there was a deer were exactly where it was supposed to be. Yeah. And he didn't, and he was so confident that he didn't run. Like he was so confident that I didn't see him. So I just made out like I didn't see him and kept on moving through there. Well, I was able to go right back in there knowing that he was there at that point and what them deer would just stand up and feed on what you would just think was just nothing like yeah. dead limp, but they're sitting there feeding, they're eating and they're doing their thing. They're not moving more than 20 yards. Mm-hmm. And there's always food in my opinion a deer's a deer's got stuff to eat especially this time of year summer yeah. spring things are growing things are green early they've, season man they've got stuff to eat everywhere um you can you can hunt a destination food source until they get a little bit of pressure and then i think they're gonna make sure that security it like reiterates to them that okay security is number one you know yeah. they get like a days ago like everybody does about anything sure you know, um You run 90 miles an hour down the highway going to work every day, and it's easy to do. It gets you to work quicker. You get a ticket, highway patrol starts sitting there. You're going to start keeping it inside the the speed limit, and that's like just reiterating, hey, speed limit is there for a reason, and I think that's the same way with deer. They kind of get loose on that security being the most important thing until that hunting pressure when they, they only get need to get reminded one time. And once they're reminded that one time, everything comes back to mm-hmm. keeping the main thing the main thing. And then here again, then then it's reiterated almost daily with public land deer. You know, they're going to have yeah. some type of interference or intrusion or something mm-hmm. so that security just becomes more and more important until the season's over. And
1: That's another thing, too. You were talking about the deer in Georgia that you watched get up out of his bed, mm-hmm. and he was nipping here, nipping mm-hmm. there. And I think a lot of people underestimate that the fact how important bedding is even in a hunting setup it's it's really important to know Mm -hmm. where these beds these beds are at you know and doing your scouting and finding finding where these beds but it's very important especially in the early season because a deer does not want to move around a whole lot yeah and so when you're when you're talking about going in and just watching a a, a buck stand up and he's just nipping here they're slow movers slow they're not so I hear a lot of people say, you know, I hunt the bed to food. Well, I do too, in, yeah. a, in a lot of a lot of times. Um, during the rut, I hunt bed to food a lot because I want to find where those does are going from their bed to food, yeah. and I want to find those bucks, you know, find, looking scent checking those trails and things yeah. like that, but um, in that early season, man, I, I cannot think of a tactic that is more productive, more dangerous when you're talking about, you know, busting deer out of there, but productive in the fact, uh, in encounters with mature bucks, then crouching in as close as you can mm-hmm. to those bedding areas to where even sometimes you can get a shot off in oh, those yeah. bedding areas. Yeah, for sure. Um, now you will deal with, I, I tell my dad, you know, my dad has 20 acres in East Texas, not a big piece of property. If he goes in and starts getting aggressive like that, then he's going to blow every deer out yeah. of the area. Yeah. But if you're if you're a public land deer hunter and you've got thousands of acres to work mm-hmm. with, going and finding those mm-hmm. enough to where you can you know kind of have
2: a do it um, all season without having to worry about exactly you know compromising the one spot that you can kill a deer exactly yeah. that's the beauty behind public land hunting we are fortunate enough to to live in a day and age where we have and in an area and country that allows us to have public land that you know everybody i would say is within an hour of some public land hunting absolutely and, you know most of it especially here in the southeast has abundant game populations on it you know some better than others obviously um but having the flexibility to, to have several or many areas of your at your disposal to get aggressive without worrying about this is the only deer mm-hmm. that I that I have and been yeah. worried about bumping him out and I think that that's where a lot of my like uh where I kind of my turkey hunting and deer hunting kind of mesh a little bit because I'm extremely aggressive when it comes to closing the distance before you know they know you're there obviously with deer they never know you're there but when turkey aspect of it you know before you make a call or whatever i always have always if i could gain 10 more yards i'm going to gain 10 more yards and it's mm-hmm. the same thing with it hunting these beds is 10 yards may not seem far but and you consider this deer's going to get up possibly right at last light and he could like you said nipping and being slow and just taking a step and taking a step like that 10 yards can be life or death. And I think that's, that to me is the hardest thing trying to figure out where and how far to push that envelope. Mm -hmm. Um, I did on another deer last year after I had killed the one that I killed, I had another idea where another deer was bedded and I pushed too far. I'm fairly certain Mm -hmm. um, because I'm fairly certain he was in there, but going back and looking at it hindsight after the season and sitting where I know he was sitting he could see two dang well where I had crawled into and snuck up to. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, that deer was bedded right here, but he can – I approached him from the wrong angle. Like, yeah. I approached him from the angle that he could see too good. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, here again, lesson learned. If I hadn't have gotten to that location and he would have stood up and walked out, I, I probably wouldn't have been close enough to kill him. Right. And that's the challenge to, like, you, you know, hunting those, those super open bottoms like that. Those jokers use their eyes as much as anything. So – I found some beds that I'm like, okay how am I gonna get into within shooting range of this thing or getting in what are he gonna get to me before dart gets here and I'm like I really don't know like I don't some
1: of them are just flat out bulletproof yeah like they, even then that's why they're there
2: even if he doesn't know you're coming and you know he's there like mm-hmm. how am I gonna get here without boogering this up and some of them I'm still scratching my head on I'm yeah. like am I going to get here at midnight and see if he's going to come back and possibly try to kill him in the morning. But then your wind's going to do screwy things in this area. It's going to just because you got a Northwest or West, or we get a lot of Southeast early season. Yeah. That doesn't mean it's going to stay Southeast all morning. Exactly. He's going to get there before daylight and he's going to wind you and he's
1: still they just Didn't have enough room on the weather channel app to tell yeah. you which directions <laughs> the wind was actually going to go for the yeah, rest of the exactly. day. Um, but man, I, that was, that was awesome. Uh, like I, I, there's a couple of things that I think we established in that um, whole conversation, you know, about bedding and and the the food sources and primary food sources and things like that. Just a ton of information for somebody who is, you know, in my I, I put myself right in this category of trying to learn more about what are guys doing in this type of terrain, this type of area that are successful what are they doing and so being able to pick your brain man has been absolutely incredible i know Mm -hmm. a lot of people are gonna really enjoy that
2: well the pleasure was all mine uh i don't feel like i have a lot of knowledge to share but i'm glad (laughs) to share what what little bit i know uh like i said i felt like the what success i've i've found with deer hunting has been flat out through persistence and uh, stubbornness, probably willingness to <laughs> willingness just to keep on getting up, keep on getting out there. Which, here again, is uh, the secret recipe that you can't buy in all kind of hunting is experience and determination. I mean, if you're out there enough, you're eventually going to bump into one, you know. Yeah. Um, but I do think some of these tactics that, and like I said, I'm not here to take credit for any of them. I'm regurgitating a lot of what's the popular thing is now with this bedding. But I, once it became. Once they give a reason to the, you know, kind of explained it so in terms that I can understand, I'm like, you know what? That makes sense. Back when I killed that deer in 2010, I was hunting here, and that's right where he should have been. Like, it started making sense. So Mm -hmm. then I've started trying to employ that in my scouting now. And um, last year, honestly, was, or well, the year before last, when I was hunting that urban piece, is the first year that I had started trying to employ all this stuff and use it in scouting and it was really funny because I started scouting and started listening to all this right before the season when everything came out. It was like late (laughs) September, October. I'm like, man, I wish I would have had this during the summer. You know, I could have figured this stuff out during the summer. Yeah. But then I had a season and ended up killing killing a nice deer over there that year, and then this past year I killed that nice deer. I'm like, you know what? These tactics, there's something to them. I remember calling my brother and going, man, you know this stuff they're talking about? This military crest and thermal tunnel and bulletproof bedding and this – Sound-based bedding and all this stuff—that stuff's real. Like I'm I'm going to these places that I'm looking at on a map, and I'm finding beds, and you know, I'm jumping deer, and it all makes sense. So, yep. Anyways, I hope hopefully somebody was able to pull like one little nugget of information out of all this rambling that makes sense, and hopefully can can help somebody.
1: Here's the one piece of nugget that will remain true, no matter what, is that. You're a turkey killer, and people need to watch you on YouTube, especially if they like turkey hunting. But also this this season, hopefully, for some deer too.
2: Yeah, I'm on. I'm gonna try to drag that camera along as much as I hate it, but I'm gonna try to drag <laughs> that camera along for deer uh, also. But I'm not sure how I'm gonna structure it yet, because I feel like I would bore everybody to death in a deer stand. But well, um, if
1: you feel like Dave would not bore you, then uh, let me know on this episode. I think. I, I don't think so. I mean, <laughs> listen. As long as you got a cigar in your hand, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be watching. You know what I mean. So, yeah. uh, if you guys are interested in in uh, learning more about Dave and the Pen- Penhodi Project, check him out on Instagram. It's at Penhody Hot Project. Yeah, it's right?
2: Penhodi Project and Facebook, and of course, YouTube is the yep. Dave Owen's Penhodi the Penhodi Project. I think is what the title is on YouTube. But
1: perfect. Yeah, Man, awesome. Well, thanks All for right. coming on the it show. Was a Pleasure. Alright, that is going to be the end of this episode. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I I hope you enjoyed it. I know I sure enjoyed my time with Dave Owens um, of the Penhody Project. Go and check out his channel on YouTube. That's the Penhody Project. It is awesome. It's one of my favorite channels on YouTube. And this year as you heard, he's going to be putting out some deer videos on his channel. So, um, I know he's going to be in Kentucky and he's going to be kind of all over the place right now as we speak. And I'm sure he's going to be having some content on that channel as well as the um, Sportsman's Nation channel. We are are going to be putting out some serious content here in the next um, few days. As we're in Kentucky, as deer are hitting the ground, I'm going to do my absolute best to put that on the YouTube channel and get that to you as quick as I possibly can. Hopefully there's deer that are hitting the ground. That is that is going to be the biggest part of getting content. But regardless, even if nothing dies, there will be videos on YouTube. And that will pretty much start the season. We're going to be in Kentucky, Tennessee, Alabama, possibly Texas, possibly Missouri, Florida. Um, just kind of all over the place. And so hopefully we're going to have a whole lot of videos on the channel for you to check out. So make sure you are subscribed to the Sports Nation channel on YouTube. That is is going to be it for this podcast episode again thank you guys so much for tuning in to the southern ground hunting podcast if you are going to be in the woods and i know a lot of you are going to be in the woods pretty soon make sure you remember this god gave you dominion over the birds of the air the fish of the sea and the beasts of the earth so go out and exercise that dominion we'll talk to you next time